Thanks so much. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for the service and sacrifice of so many men and women as as soldiers who have worked hard to defend our freedoms. And we thank you for them and pray that they would feel appreciated, both those here and those throughout our country. Lord, we think of those presently serving in the military, protecting us, and we thank you for them and pray that you would protect them as they protect us. We, we pray for our country because we have forgotten you. Lord, forgive us. We do pray for a revival in your church. Will you not yourself revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. May, may we be revived. May we overflow with joy to our neighbors and may they come to know you. May there be a great spiritual awakening in our land. We're about to open your word. We pray as we open your word, Holy Spirit, that you would fall fresh and you would take your words and use them to win lost people and, and build believers and equip workers and, and multiply disciple makers, that our community would be filled with those who love you and want to share you with everyone. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. And if you don't, it'd be a great idea to bring a Bible and get familiar with it. In Luke 6, we're going to read one verse. Here it is, Luke 6, 38. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow on the screens. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. There were three boys, and they were arguing about which of their dads was the greatest. Did you ever do that? I can, I can remember doing that. And which of their dads made the most money? And uh, one boy said, my dad's a doctor and he makes $100 an hour. Another boy said, well, that's nothing. My dad's a lawyer and he makes $200 an hour. Third boy said, that's nothing. My dad's a pastor. And it takes eight men every Sunday morning to collect what he makes in an hour. Oh, we're taking a two-week break from uh, 2 Peter. We'll be back there next week to, to do a series on giving. And last week we learned that giving is an act of worship. That when we gather here, it's to worship God. And one of the things we do is we bring gifts. And so giving is an act of worship. And, and today, today what we're going to look at, our point is right out of the passage. The point of today's message is give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. First, I want to share with you the story. Verse 38, I want to take you back. I want to take you back 2,000 years. This comes right out of a, an open-air market in Israel at that time. You might find a market like that today in India or a market like that in Haiti, but that's what it's like. So you, you take your basket with you to the market because you want to buy some grain. So when you get to the open-air market, you haggle over the price. Do you like to haggle? See, things then wouldn't have had a fixed price on it. So you would have haggled over it, and when you came to the, the right price, then you would have put out your basket, your basket, and the merchant would have filled it with grain. But you want what you paid for, right? So you know what you do? You, what you press it down, and then he puts more in there. 
And, and you want all that you paid for, right? So the next thing you do is you shake it so that it falls down. And then when he's pouring the last amount in there, you take your robe, you put it underneath the basket so that what flows over flows into your robe and you take home what you paid for both in the basket and in your robe. Because they would have sold you what you wanted by volume, not by weight. I mean, we buy potato chips, right? And you open the big old bag and what? It's all in the bottom. And what does it say? This is sold by weight and not by volume. Uh, anybody like Chinese food? I do. And you get takeout. You get your chicken fried rice in the little container. And you open it up and what happens? It explodes, right? I mean, wouldn't you love to be in the kitchen of a Chinese restaurant and see how they get it in there? You know what they do? They put it in there and they what? They press it down. And then they do what? They shake it together. And then they stuff more in there. That's the picture here. Think, think of a Chinese takeout. Don't think of potato chips, okay? So that gives you the picture. Now, if we want to understand Scripture, whenever we read a passage, especially one verse, we want to ask what? What's the context? How does this verse fit into the longer passage, and how does a longer passage fit into the flow of the Bible? So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to come back from the verse we're going to look at, and let's look at the context of it. It's about two and a half years into the ministry of Jesus. Uh, you know, a three and a half, four-year ministry. We're about two and a half years in. That's where this is. And so let's back up to verse 12. Same chapter. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When you have a big decision, do you, do you get along with God and pray about it? He was about to select his 12 apostles, and so he spends time praying with his father. Who should he select in this important decision? Um, and when, he, when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also named his apostles. We often use apostle and disciple interchangeably. They are not the same. Everyone who follows Jesus is a disciple, but the eyewitnesses of Jesus are the apostles. Jesus cho cho chose 12 apostles. There's, there's 12 apostles, uh, probably a, a few more, but they were eyewitnesses of Jesus, and they play a very important role part in the life of the church. The Bible says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They gave us the New Testament, and the church is built on the, uh, the writings of the apostles and prophets. So now, two and a half years, Jesus is turning really from the crowd. He's going to really focus in on the 12 because he's training them to win the world. <clears throat> Verse 17. Jesus came down with them. They came down from a mountain and stood on a level plain, and there was a large crowd of his disciples. Now, what we're about to read in Luke 6, uh, most people believe it's the same as the Sermon on the Mount, and we wonder how can it be a Sermon on the Mount in a plain at the same time as we just read they came down from the mountain, right? And they stood on a, on a plain. Uh, so notice here, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples 
So you have the 12 apostles, a larger crowd of his disciples, and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. Apostles, wider group of disciples, and then this great crowd of people. Now notice who Jesus is teaching. In verse 20, and turning his gaze toward his disciples. Um, that really changed me. I, I, used to, I used to speak to lost people in the presence of disciples. And then I thought, I had that backwards. What Jesus did is Jesus spoke to disciples in the presence of lost people. And so listen, if you're here to, to check out the Christian faith, we are so glad you're here. And I pray for you today that you'll hear the gospel and you'll believe because, listen, for all of us, it's either heaven or hell for I pray today, and if not today, tomorrow, that you come to faith in Christ. But what I'm going to do here is just what Jesus did here. I'm going to speak to the disciples because Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says, I have a plan to change the world. And so I want you to know that if you're a follower of Christ, what we're about to hear is Jesus' plan to win the world. And it's radical. Every single thing he says is incredibly radical. Everything he calls us to do is impossible to do in our own strength. So we need to be dependent upon him and dependent upon his spirit. So what's his radical plan to change the world? It involves you and me. It doesn't involve electing the right person, but it involves us following him. Here it is. Look at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Want to change the world? Want to do something radical? You want to stand out in our culture? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Wow, wouldn't we stand out in a divided, angry culture if we loved not just the people who voted like us or looked like us or acted We loved all people, right? Wow. Well, how do we do that? We need Jesus to pull it off, right? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Are you kidding me? No, this is his radical plan. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Thus the golden rule, don't treat people the way they treat you. Everybody does that. Be radical. Treat people the way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, I mean, if you love those who think like you and vote like you and everything, what credit is that to you? What, where's the grace in that for even sinners love those who love them? If you just love people like you, big deal. Everybody does that. Where is the evidence in that that you've experienced the love of Christ? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? If you're nice to your spouse when your spouse is nice to you, if you're nice to the people in your small group when they're nice to you, big deal. Everybody does that. Where's the evidence that you've experienced the grace of God? What credit for even sinners do the same? If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit? Where's the grace in that? What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Want to change the world? But love your enemies. And do good. And lend. 
expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, who are those ungrateful and evil people? You know who it is? It's me. It's me. You know who it is? It's you. When he talks about God being merciful to ungrateful and evil people, he's talking about us. See, the bad news of the gospel is we all have a problem called sin. You know what that means? It means that we're ungrateful, that we're evil, and we're helpless. This week I'm speaking to a dad, and he's talking to me. He says, you know, Smiley, my kids are so ungrateful. You know what I said? Glad I'm not. I mean, aren't we all ungrateful? You know what sin is? God gives us life and breath and all good things, and we say, God, we don't want to follow you. We don't want to thank you. You know what it means to be evil? It's to mean that we think we're wiser than God, and God says, honor your parents, and we say, I'm not going to do that. And God says, sex belongs in marriage, and we say, God, we don't care what you say. We're wiser than you. And God says, don't lie, and don't steal, and don't covet. And we say, God, don't tell us what to do. We'll do life our way. So the Bible teaches that all of us, being ungrateful and evil, have committed crime after crime against God, and what we deserve is hell, which is separation from God in all good things, and that we're helpless to save ourselves. What do we do? What do we notice? It says here that, that our Father is merciful. God is merciful. That means He shows love to helpless people. So what God did was He sent His Son into the world to save helpless people from their sins. So, listen to 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also died for sins. Once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Do you know whose words those are precious? For people who are convicted of their sins, who know that they are ungrateful and evil and deserve hell, and then they hear that God the Son put on flesh to come to earth to save us from our sins. And after living a perfect life, he died once for all. The just, the one who would never sin, died for the unjust. He died for us. He took our sins upon himself, died in our place, and rose on the third day. Why? So that he could bring us to God, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could do life and eternity with God, so that we could move from being children of wrath to children of God. Do you know we're all one or the other? We're either children of wrath or children of God. Wouldn't you rather be a child of God? You can, you know. Oh, in John 1, <clears throat> how do we get eternal life? How do we find forgiveness? How do we move from being a child of wrath to a child of God? John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Do you know why I'm a Christian? It's the only hope I have. Religion says you have to be good to have life with God, and I don't stand a chance. But do you know what Jesus offered me? Forgiveness. The chance to do life and eternity with him, to move from being a child of wrath to a child of God. How? By believing in him. Have you? If you haven't, won't you? But smiley, what does it mean to believe? It's, 
It's, it's really pretty simple. It's as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. To become a child of God begins when we admit, Jesus, I have been ungrateful and evil and I'm helpless to save myself. I admit that. Won't you do that? You could even do that now. Or I'd be glad to help you at the end of the service. And then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died once for all the just for the unjust. You died for me to, to bring me to God. Thank you. And then we receive, to commit us to receive Jesus as our Savior. Come in and forgive me and, and give me eternal life, won't you? It's to receive him as Lord. Jesus, I want you to move in and, and, and take over from this day forward. As you give me strength, I will follow you all the days of my life. And do you know what happens when we've been loved? Then, then we can love. And, and that's why we're reading in, in Luke that once we've experienced God's love, uh, then we can love, but love your enemies. The reason we can do that is when we were enemies, God loved us and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be called sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. We become like our Father. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Can we talk? You know what I'm always doing? I'm always judging people. Anybody else ever do that? I'm constantly judging other people for every single thing. You say, Smiley, you are so sick. I am. That's why I'm so thankful for Jesus, aren't you? And you know what Jesus loves to whisper? Hey, Smiley, do you want to be judged by the same standard you apply to others? <laughs> no. Isn't that what he's teaching us here? And at the end of this radical, radical plan, now we come to our verse. Now verse 38 begins to make sense. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And I can hear the objections. One objection some of you raise is, Smiley, that sounds like the prosperity gospel. That sounds like the prosperity gospel. And some of you may be not aware of that. The prosperity gospel is a false teaching of our time uh, that, that says God wants you to be wealthy and healthy and happy all the time, uh, especially now. And, and it is true that God wants us to be wealthy and we will be forever. And it is true that God wants us to be healthy and we will be forever. And it is true that God wants us to be happy and we will be forever, but not always now. So I heard a podcast once. It was really good. It was called The Beauty of Heresy. The Beauty of Heresy. Now, now listen carefully. All heresy begins with the truth. All false teaching begins with the truth. And the truth of, of, um, of prosperity theology is from cover to cover, the Bible teaches the Bible teaches the principle of sowing and reaping. The principle of sowing and reaping. But what heresy does is it takes a truth and enlarges it and enlarges it and then ignores all the other teaching. Uh, matter of fact, I believe the problem with prosperity theology is it makes give and it will be given to you a financial transaction. It makes it a financial transaction and says, if you give God $10, he's obligated to give you $36 back. I love what someone said. This is much better. What does sowing and reaping mean? That we determine the size of our blessing by what we give. But God determines 
how we're blessed. That's the principle of it's sowing and reaping, that we determine the size of our blessing by what we give, but God determines how we're blessed. When uh, Karen and I were married and we started having kids, we honored God with our giving, and, and, and God really blessed us, not, not so much with money, but, but people gave us all these things for our kids. Well, actually, what happened is we got to not only be blessed, but we got to find out people's reproductive futures. What? You see, we got to discover, not only were we blessed, but we got to discover people's reproductive futures because some people gave us a crib and they gave us things and other people loaned us things. You see the difference, right? But we didn't have to buy anything for our kids because people just supplied all these things for us. And that's what God is saying is we determine the size of our blessing by what we give, but God determines how we're blessed. That's one objection people have to give, and it will be given to you. The second objection people tell me all the time is, Smiley, you shouldn't give to get. You shouldn't give to get. To which I would say, what? Says who? Says who? Uh, I mean, you know what the Bible does say? The Bible says, don't steal to get. That's what it says. But the Bible teaches from cover to cover to give to get. Isn't that what it says here? What does it say? It says what? What? Read it with me. What? Give and it will be given to you. What does that teach? It teaches that God wants you to give to get. And Well, why would God want us to give to get? Well, well Jesus wants us to follow him in all of life, all of life, including our money, because all that we have is his. Anyway, he wants us to follow him. So let's do a little pop quiz here. You like tests, don't you? Let me give you a pop quiz here. It's a Bible test. So let me ask you, and we're going to vote on it, no abstentions. Now just think for a moment, do you think the Bible, you know, a spiritual book, spends more time talking about prayer, because that's really a spiritual, right? Isn't that, that's what Christians do, they pray, right? Do you think the Bible speaks more about prayer or about money and possessions, okay? So come on, let, let's do this. How many of you think the Bible speaks more about prayer? Because that's really important, isn't it? All right, um, and then how many of you think, it couldn't be that the Bible would spend more time talking about money and possessions. How many think that? All right, let, let, let's look at the answer to this quiz, okay? Uh, the, the Bible speaks about prayer about 500 times. That's a lot, isn't it? So those of you who voted for money and possessions, are you beginning to think you're wrong? Are you beginning to think so? Hang on, hang on. The Bible speaks about money and possessions about 2,350 times. Um, so the Bible speaks a lot about money and possessions because Jesus wants us to follow him in, in all of life. So, so notice... What Jesus is doing in 638, Jesus is inviting us into a lifestyle, into a lifestyle of service and giving. And what he's offering us, what he's offering us is a money-back guarantee. He says, you don't have to worry about being generous because given it will be given to you. Now, a lot of us, we just struggle to believe that because everything Jesus calls us to do is counterintuitive. It goes against popular thinking. And that's why I love this verse. In Psalm 34, don't we hear a voice always that's saying, God wants to make you miserable, God wants to make you miserable? Uh, but, but notice what the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants to follow him because he's good. He wants to increase our joy, not decrease it. Notice, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed, how happy is the man who takes refuge in him. I mean, some things are counterintuitive, aren't they? 
Um, can you remember the first time you had carrot cake, can you? <laughs> Do you know I had to be talked into it? Someone said, this is carrot cake. And I thought, who would put vegetables <laughs> into cake? And no, no. And I just said, what? What? Taste and say, you'll just taste it. One bite, one bite. No, no, no. Come on. I'll never forget that moment. Do you remember? It was what? It was so good, right? But what had, you had to what? You had to taste and you to see because it made no sense at all to you that carrots and cake could go to, but one taste and you knew it, right? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Isn't he inviting us to follow him? It's so good. Come, come and follow me. But we're resistant because it's counterintuitive. What did Jesus tell us about giving? What did he say in Acts 20? Verse 34, 5. And everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and resemble, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. What if it was true? What if it was true that there was more joy in giving? Wouldn't Jesus want us to, to, to know that? And that's why he says, listen, give it a try. Taste and see. Listen, I'll give you a money back guarantee. Give and it'll be given to you. What do we have to lose, right? Oh, why does Jesus encourage us to give to get? Because when we give to get, everyone wins. Do you know when we give to get, God God is blessed because when we're generous like he is, that blesses him. And you know, God is glorified. When we begin to act like him, believing it's more blessed to give than receive, that brings glory to God. God wins. Do you know the church wins when we're generous to the church? The church wins. The church is fully funded. Well, the church wins so the church can preach the gospel and, and equip people to share the gospel and make disciples and, and proclaim the truth. And do and you know that we win too because we get the joy of seeing Jesus show up in our lives and take care of us. So we get the joy of knowing him. We get the joy of being involved in God's plan to change the world. And the Bible tells us over and over again to give, to get, because when you give to get, everyone wins. Let me show you. In, um, in Proverbs 3, um, we read last week, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Listen, that, that when we give, we honor God. We bless Him. And when we give, God says, I'm going to show up in your life and meet your needs. We're going to get to know Jesus by walking in obedience to Him through giving. We keep going through the Old Testament. We get to Malachi in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, once again, we're encouraged to give to get. Once again, we're encouraged to give so that everyone can win. Notice, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. See the word tithe, that means 10%. Sometimes I'll read article that the average Christian tithes 3% of his income. No, no, he gives 3%. She gives, you can't tithe 3% because tithe means 10%. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? So that there may be food in my house. God says that when his people tithe to their local church, there's money in God's church. It's funded to preach the gospel and to equip disciple makers and to speak the truth in a culture that desperately needs truth. And notice what he says, test me now in this. 
says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. There again is the principle of sowing and reaping, right? That God says, I'll show up in your life and I'll bless you beyond your wildest expectation. Everyone wins when we give. God wins, the church wins, we win. Longest passage in the New Testament on giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I believe it's the longest. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sounds bu- sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here again is the principle of sowing and reaping. And so the people often ask, uh, well, how much should I give? And the Bible says, what, how much do you want to be blessed, right? What do you want to reap? And then give accordingly. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You ever wonder why God loves a cheerful giver? Why do you think he does? Because he's a cheerful giver. That's why he loves it. Because we're like him. For God so loved the world, he what? He gave, right? Jesus, it says, he gave himself for us that no one took it away. He laid it down for us. He's a cheerful giver. And when we're like him, he loves that. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. (laughs) Listen, when we give, God gives us more to be able to give more. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He says as you give, that God will increase our ability to give and will become more and more like Jesus. We win. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. God wins. Do you know all around the world there are Christians who thank God for you? Because we've helped to plant 135 churches around the world and every time we hear from them they say thank you. Thank you for investing us so that we could have a church and hear about the God. People are thanking God for you and for your giving here. Because of this proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. God gets glory for changing people into radically generous people and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Um, That's why whenever we visit one of the churches we've helped plant, they're so thankful to see us because we invested in them. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, so far we've learned the Bible says give and it will be given to you. Uh, The Bible encourages us to give to get because when we do it, everyone wins. God is glorified and the church wins and is funded and and we get joy, the joy of knowing Jesus and seeing him show up in our lives day by day. So so now I I want us to, to move to our action step this week. And our action step this week is I want you to take a step. Take a step. We walk with Jesus. It's one step after another. And every one of us can take a step. Some of us can take the test, the step of, of, of tithing of tithing. Let me show you the verse again. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse for some of us to to honor God with the first 10%. That would be a huge step, wouldn't it? 
into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now I know, I know some of you say, I just, I can't do that. And I would remind you that we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. So when it comes to giving, let's think through what would it look like to walk by sight and what would it look like to walk by faith? See, I believe to walk by sight looks like this. I have $10 and it's not enough and I give one away, I end up with, with less, right? If I can't get by on 10, how could I ever get by on 9? But that's walking by what? Sight. Well, what would it look like to walk by faith? It would look like this, that 10, I have 10, I give one away, but plus Jesus, it equals what? More. And you say, well, how does that work? I don't know. I have no idea. What I do know is that Karen and I have tithed for over 40 years and God has always shown up and taken care of us. That's what I do know. What I do know is a few years ago, two years in a row, we offered the people in our church a 90-day money-back guarantee. We said, if you will tithe for 90 days and God doesn't show up and God doesn't meet your needs, we will give you your money back. We had many, many people signed up and took the challenge. Do you know how many of them asked for the money back? You know how many? Zero. None of them did. you know why? Because God showed up and took care of them. How about you? Will, will you take that step this week, Lord? It makes no sense to me. You call me to... To, to walk by, by, by faith, I, I, I want to I, I trust you, and, and this seems crazy, but I'm trusting you. Is that your step? Now, some of us, our step is, is to go beyond a tithe to offerings. Uh, to offerings, and you say, what's an offering? An offering is what we give in addition to a tithe. And I would really encourage you with your tithe to give to your local church, and with your offerings, your, to, to, you could give to your local church or to any other uh, group or person that you wanted to support who's advancing the gospel. And when it comes to offerings, remember what we read, given it will be given to you, they will pour into your lap. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now notice, he says, what we get is determined on what we give. So I think, you know, God, uh, what do I want and, and what would you have me to give? Some of us, our step is to go beyond a tithe with, with offerings, right? Some of us can take that step. For some of us, the step is to be a cheerful giver. <laughs> we're tithing. We're going beyond that, but, but we're not very cheerful, right? So we, we give it begrudgingly. And re Remember what we read, that each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe our step is, Lord, you're a cheerful giver. Change my heart so that I would be like you, that I would be a cheerful giver when I give my tithes and offerings, okay? Uh, so, so some it's the tithe, some it's offerings, some it's cheerful giver. Maybe, maybe for some of us, our step would be to include good news in our, in our estate planning as, as we set up our estate for what happens when we go to be with Jesus. You could include the church in that. And, and one of our members recently came up and said that he had done that, and so I wanted you to get to hear the story that he told to me. Hey, Terry, this week we're going to be talking about giving, and just wanted to ask you a few questions if that was okay. Sure, that's fine. Terry, how long have you been a part of Good News? Since the beginning, 31 years. Wow, 31 years. Thank you so much. And Terry, um, 
what what moved you to include good news in your estate planning? Charlie and I were updating our will a few years ago, and we said there's so many ways we've been blessed by God. It only seems right to us that we should give back. We don't won't need the money anymore, and my family doesn't need the money. And as God moved us, we decided to contribute to the church for the furtherance of the gospel. Wow, thank you so much for, for doing that. And so Terry, what might you say to someone else who's thinking about including the church in their estate planning? There's no greater way to serve and to share the gospel than to give something of yourself. I think that it it's all God's anyway, so it's only right to give back to God. Man, I am so thankful for Terry. He's been a blessing to me and to our church since the very beginning. And how cool is that that since he's included good news in his estate planning, he'll continue to bless people here and around the world even after he's gone to be with Jesus. Thank you so much, Terry. And I don't know if you picked that up from what we learned last week, but from Proverbs 3. Did you hear that where it says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce? It's talking about giving out of two places, one out of our income and the other out of our wealth. Uh, maybe for some of us that step is to include the church in our estate planning. But imagine what could happen if each of us took a step. We don't all take the same step, but we all took a step. That some of us took the step to tithe. Wouldn't that be great? And some of us took the, the, the step to go beyond that to offerings. And some of us for cheerful. And some of us, some of us for estate planning. Do you know what would happen? Wouldn't God win? Wouldn't he be blessed and glorified? And, and, and wouldn't the church be fully funded to preach the gospel, to equip people to share the gospel? Do you know why else is so important to, to uh, invest in the church? Is who else is going to preach the truth in our culture? Hmm? Who else is going to speak about a creator? and a Savior, and God's Word, and right from wrong. Isn't that what we want to, to be funded? And you know what? We ourselves, we get the joy, the joy of knowing Jesus and see Him show up in our lives and meet our needs day by day. So let me encourage you. Be a part of Jesus' radical plan to change the world. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful you're a cheerful giver. We're so thankful that you died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that you might bring us to the Father. Listen, if you're here today and you'd like to be forgiven, You'd like to have eternal life. You'd like to be a child of God and not a child of wrath. Jesus is here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be the Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. 
And Jesus, I pray for those who have received you, that we would follow you in all of life, including with our money, and that each of us this week would take a step. For some of us, Lord, help us to walk by faith and to take that step of, of, of a tithe. And Lord, others of us, help us to take the step of, of going beyond that with the offerings. And Lord, some of us, that you would change our hearts and we would be cheerful givers like you. And, and Lord, I pray for some that you might move us to include the church in our estate planning so that we might continue to be a blessing long after we're gone. And we pray in Jesus' name.